by way of introduction, we have, of course, made it through the first 15 verses of Genesis 18 and seen um, now Sarah has had her moment where she doubts God. She hears about this plan uh, for a child and she laughs. Uh, she's actually confronted about that laughter. And uh, for some reason or another, she thinks she can get away with just saying, oh, I didn't do that. I didn't laugh. Uh, but of course, one of the three that were there with Abraham is the angel of the Lord, which we talked about Theophanies. And this would be uh, a pre-incarnate uh, Christ. But now when we get to verse 16, we're kind of moving to the next event that happens. We have Abraham that has been very hospitable and gracious to his three guests. And we've seen how his reaction uh, proves that Abraham is fully aware uh, that he is in the presence of, of one that is his superior uh, and is being a gracious host and, and seeking to do the best that he can be. And he, he gathers the meal. He gives instructions for the food and the drink that is to be uh, prepared there. And then the promise is restated, uh, reiterated that that Abraham and Sarah will have a child. And that, of course, is when Sarah laughs to herself and says, how can this thing be? And she's confronted about that. But now we come to the attention being placed upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And in chapter 19 of Genesis, we'll see more of just how wicked and vile of a place Sodom and Gomorrah was. But before we actually get to Sodom and Gomorrah, we have this interaction between um, Abraham and one of the three men that were there. And we have this information being given to Abraham about what, what the plans of the Lord are for Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham, of course, knowing that Lot is there, uh, this chapter closes with Abraham um, very intentionally interceding, but interceding in such a way that he's being very intentional, being very uh, careful, but being very, very humble in how he intercedes for Sodom and Gomorrah. And we'll look at that. But really we're going to spend most of our time in, um, in the first little section of these verses. With this information being passed on to Abraham. And I want us to note some things that I believe very strongly will strengthen our faith. Will bless us. Will encourage us when we see that these things were indeed communicated to Abraham. And when we are reminded of, of who Abraham is, as he is the one called by God from these verses. So let's begin in Genesis 18, verse 16. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. 
For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. And then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. And so, we have here well, two things, and I'll be very brief with this. The Lord says, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And then He says, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether. This is not... This is not the Lord God coming up with a plan and saying, oh, well, I need to make changes and I need to do this and I need to do that. And of course, the Lord did not have to literally, physically go down to Sodom and Gomorrah to know what was going on there. And so, why do we have this type of language? Why do we have these illustrations for us in Scripture? It does help us to see the relational aspect of God and it it does, in in writing this way, the fancy term, I believe, is anthropomorphic ways. We're talking about God. Uh, and ultimately, anytime we come across language in Scripture that is trying to describe God, how He is, His attributes, His characteristics, it's going to fall short. But when we come across passages like this, it just helps us as the human reader to understand how God operates, how God works. And so I did want to note that very Briefly, I don't want anybody coming to these false conclusions that, oh, well, God doesn't know all things because He had to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah and figure out what was going on there. Or, the Lord didn't really seem sure what He was going to do at first. Was He going to keep it from Abraham? And then He decided not to keep it from Abraham? We know, of course, throughout all of Scripture, it is abundantly clear that God's plans are from everlasting. He knows the beginning from the end. He he calls the end from the beginning. And so, please don't fall into that trap. There are those who would use language like this to say, oh, God doesn't know all things. And God does sometimes change His plans. And so, just understand that, again, if you want to know the the $2 word for it or the $5 word for it, anthropomorphic language. But we see here, the Lord does say, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And here's His reasoning. Seeing that Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in Him. For I have chosen Him, that He may command His children and His household after Him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what He has promised him. So we're reminded of who Abraham is. And if you've been with us throughout this entire study, you might be tempted to think, yes, Caleb, we've talked about that a lot. We get it. We know who Abraham, who Abraham is. But here in this passage, we are actually reminded from Scripture who Abraham is. He is the one who was called by God. Chosen by God to be the father of a great nation. And in Him would all the nations of the earth be blessed through the promises given to Abraham. Namely, that Abraham and Sarah would have a son. A promised son. And because of that, that's the reasoning here that the Lord says, I will tell Abraham what I'm about to do. 
Because I have chosen Him. Because He is the one who will surely become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in Him. I have chosen Him that He may command His children and His household after Him. And so there we kind of have a a glimpse and and a foreshadowing of the people of God are to be a people that instruct their young ones, instruct their children, instruct the ones coming up behind them of who God is. And what God expects of His children. And to teach the commands of God. And to teach the Word of God. There's an instruction there. And He says, um, To command His children and His household after Him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. The ways of God, the laws of God, the Word of God is our only true source of what righteousness and justice even are. God's people are to be people of the truth. But Abraham knew about these responsibilities, the call that had been given to him. And here we have it recorded for us that these are some of the reasons that are given while the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? This is who Abraham is. And then he tells Abraham of the plans. So we see that Abraham again will surely become a great and mighty nation. And all nations will be blessed in Him. We are reminded, I have chosen Him. None of this would be happening. Abraham would not be on his way to a land that had not even been shown to him yet. Abraham would not have any promises to cling to of becoming a great nation. Abraham would not have the promise to cling to that he would have a son. Abraham would not have the promise to cling to that in him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. None of this would be happening if God in His grace and in His mercy did not call Abram out of the land from which he was raised. Away from his lineage, his upbringing of pagan parenting. God says, I have chosen you. I will make of you a great nation. And of course, because this is our study of the book of Genesis, all of this is connected to the very beginning. Right after the fall, when God said that the head of the serpent would be crushed. And He told the serpent there will be enmity, there will be friction, there will be wars, there will be strife between your seed and the seed of the woman. And you will bruise His heel and He will bruise or crush your head. And from that point, all of Scripture afterwards up to this point in Genesis, but also all the way through the end of Revelation, what we have recorded for us in Scripture is the fulfillment of that promise. And just as God Himself made a covering for Adam and Eve in the garden, There was a sacrifice that was was made and God Himself fashioned a covering for the sin and the shame to cover that for Adam and Eve. The same is true in promising that the head of the serpent would be crushed. Christ has provided and He Himself is the covering for all who repent and place faith in Jesus Christ. For all who are born again. Christ Himself is the covering for those who belong to God. 
And so all of this is the unfolding of what we covered months ago now at this point in the first three chapters of Genesis. Please do not miss that. I know that as we go throughout the rest of Scripture, there's going to be lots of characters where we say, I know about Moses. Just like now, we're tempted to say, I know about Abraham. I know who he is. God called him. God did this with him. God did this. And we just, we can rattle off facts and we can memorize stuff real easy. Do not lose the awe and the wonder and the miraculous nature of everything that is taking place right now. Abraham is still a man, graciously chosen by God, and God is the one who is bringing all of this to come to pass. And all of the promises that are given to Abraham are only good, and are only true, and are only promises worth believing, because God is who He says He is. Because God is the one true God of all creation. And so not only will Abraham be the father of a great nation, but in in him will all the nations be blessed. And this started with God choosing Abraham. And the results of God saving a people for his own possession. We must not lose this today because it is still the same. One of the results of God choosing a people for his own possession and making a people for himself, those people ought to teach and command and instruct their children, and raise them up in the knowledge and the admonition of the Lord. Now, there's a bit of irony in that because some of you could say, Preacher, how are you going to preach that when your child was just in here screaming a few moments ago? She's 16 months old, folks. Give her a break. It's, it's odd and it is funny. At 16 months old, Wren could already tell us how she felt. Wren could tell us why she was screaming. Rose, we don't have that gift. We just say, what's wrong? And she screams harder. That's why I told you all a few weeks ago, I just can't wait till she starts talking. Because the way my mind works, I just want to know why she's squealing. And she can't tell me right now. And that frustrates me as her daddy. I just know she's squealing. But God's people are to be those people who instruct and teach their children Who God is. What God has done for them. That God is a God of righteousness. That God is a God of justice. And His ways are righteous. And His ways are ways of justice. And it has been this way from the beginning. We just read that that is actually tied to what the Lord was saying here. I have chosen Him that He may command His children and His household after Him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what He has promised him. And then the Lord says this, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. And upon hearing that, we are told, and I'm going to paraphrase these last verses in this chapter here. Abraham begins by saying, this is verse 23 now. Abraham begins by saying, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Now right out of the gate, that is an appeal to God's 
character. That is an appeal to the righteousness and the justice of God. If God is a God who destroys the righteous with the wicked, then that would, that would infringe upon His justice. That would infringe upon His righteousness. He would not be fully righteous. He would not be fully just if He were to sweep away the righteous with the wicked. And so, Abraham here makes an appeal to that. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing. To put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked? Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And so Abraham is pleading with God, with the Lord, based upon who he knows the Lord to be. He is a just God. And he makes an appeal to that. And the response is, for the sake of 50, I will spare it. And then 40, and then 30, and 20, and ultimately it goes down to 10. Abraham just keeps approaching the Lord for the, for the sake of 30, for the sake of, for the sake of 10. Will you spare it? If you look at the, the end there, the Lord said, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went His way when He had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. For those of you that are familiar with Scripture, and even if you just took a couple of seconds just then to scan ahead over the first few verses of, of Genesis 19, and if your Bible has headings, you probably know and are aware. In Genesis 19 and 20, we have the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and what comes after that. God did destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Which means ultimately there was not even found in that place ten righteous souls. But Abraham interceded and Lot was spared. His two daughters and his wife. His wife, of course, looking back and being turned into a pillar of salt and We'll get there next week. But I do want to go ahead and put that in your mind by way of reminder. And hold on to that because something did in fact come of Abraham's intercession. Sodom and Gomorrah on the whole were not spared. But Lot was spared. And there is a connection between Lot being spared and the intercession of Abraham. But again, for for this sermon today, I want to come back to really just that first section of verses that we read. The Lord revealed His plans to Abraham and it was based upon the promises and the call that had already been given to Abraham. One thing that I want us to pull from this today, and it's very simplistic. God does not save His people. God does not call His people and then leave them in the dark. That is something we ought to rejoice in. God has given us His Word. We now, Abraham could not say this, but we today can say God has given us His Word. From Genesis to Revelation, God has given us His Word. God has not withheld from us His plans. Now we do not know every last detail of God's plans and His ways are not our ways and they are above our ways. We cannot attain unto His wisdom. But that does not mean that God has given us no 
wisdom, and no knowledge of His plans. As God was going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, we know that there is a great day of judgment that will befall all of the world. We know that the Lord will return and He will return as judge. God has not left us in the dark on that. Just as there was knowledge that Sodom and Gomorrah, there was great wickedness and, 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 and rampant sin, unrepentant sin in Sodom and Gomorrah. God has not left us unaware that the world and the people of the world are wicked and full of sin. At this point, let us not forget that the world has already been destroyed in a flood. And the only ones spared from that were Noah and his sons. And each of their wives. So in Sodom and Gomorrah, we almost have a, a smaller scale event that re-emphasizes God judges the wicked. God is capable of bringing destruction and judgment whenever He pleases. He can destroy the world with a flood. Or he can destroy just two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. But when it is time for, for judgment and destruction to fall, it falls and it is complete. And the only ones to be spared are the ones whom God has chosen. The ones whom God has displayed and given grace and mercy those ultimately, once we get to Lot and we consider how in the world could Lot have been considered righteous when he did what he did and was living the way that he was living, those who by faith have been justified before God. And so let us not lose sight of that. And with that being mentioned, the judgment and the destruction and the wrath of God, let us not forget to mention that God is a just God. You say, yeah, Caleb, you've already said that twice and... It was in the verses, so why is that such a big deal? God did not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah without reason. In fact, we are told the language that is used, what did He say? I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. To paraphrase it and speak in very overly simplistic terms, and I'm not trying to be irreverent, but it's as if the Lord says, I'm going to see if it's as bad as it seems to be. And if not, I will know it. You say, well, what does that mean for us? God does not bring swift and sudden destruction unless it is merited. Unless it is a just thing to do. Why? Because God is perfect. God does not destroy a nation. God does not destroy the world. God does not bring death and destruction to an individual unless... It is just. God does not punish and bring destruction without reason. That is important for us today because people will say, well, if God is good, why does He allow such and such to happen? Well, if God is love, why does He allow this to happen? Or, I feel like it's not, it's not fair. It's not fair for God to judge people based upon X, Y, Z, fill in the blank, because if God was fair, then He would be this way. He would be that way. Scripture is clear. God does not do anything that He does arbitrarily. 
God does not do anything that He does on a whim. God does not do anything that He does unless it is good and perfect and just and righteous. And we can rest in that. We can be confident in that. If God is God, if He is who He says He is, then all that He does is just and it is good. And you may say, well, that is a... That is a bit hard to swallow. That is one of those things that it's a little bit harder to digest. It wasn't just and was it good for God to completely destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, did he do it? Yes. Then it was just and it was good. And that is one thing that even many Christians, when we... When we come to places like that that are cut and dry and when, and when truths are stated in that manner, was it good? What well, did God do it? Then it was just and good. Even many Christians will say, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. You know, we're, we're talking about all of the people in Sodom and Gomorrah were, were killed. All of them were wiped out and judged. I just, I don't know if I can call that good. Consider this, when a criminal is fully guilty, beyond a shadow of a doubt, fully guilty, without question, is it good when they get the most severe penalty for their crimes? Yes, we rejoice in justice. We rejoice when a criminal who clearly is guilty actually gets that guilty verdict And their punishment fits the crime. At least I would hope that we would rejoice. In justice. With that being considered. Are not all people on the face of the earth guilty without question of sin? And what is the penalty of sin? Death. Each and every breath that we breathe. Each and every day that we live. It doesn't matter if it was a good day or a bad day. Doesn't matter if it was a good hair day or a bad hair day. Doesn't matter if you didn't fight with your spouse or you did fight with your spouse. Doesn't matter if the children were crying or if the children didn't cry all day. Doesn't matter. Every day that we live and every breath that we breathe is more than we deserve. Because what we deserve, if we are just talking about justice... What we deserve is the wrath and the judgment of Almighty God. Please do not fall into the temptation of looking at something at Sodom and Gomorrah and saying, wow, that's really severe. That's really, really bad. No, that's, that's what sin deserves. And then you think, well, if that's what sin deserves, why has that not happened to us today? My goodness, just look around at America. Why has God not wiped us off the face of the earth? Grace. Mercy. He is a long-suffering, patient God. That's the right way to view things. One more, one more thing that I'll add to that. This isn't, my note, this isn't in my notes, so I'll tell you this for free. <clears throat> Many people will try to say... They'll try to say things like, why do bad things happen to good people? That's not a biblical way to think. There are no good people. (gasps) 
Biblically speaking, there are no good people. There's none good. No, not one. None seeks after God. None pursues righteousness. Then, when your mind has been fully flipped on its head from the way that the world has encouraged you to think, only then are you actually beginning to think more biblically. And once you realize, well, there's none good, so bad things don't happen to good people because there's none good, and what we deserve is death. Now you can ask the right question. Why does God give any good thing to bad people? To wretched sinners? Why do we have the life that we've been given? Why hasn't God struck us down yet? Why are we here? Why are we breathing? Why are we alive? If we are sinners and sinner and, and sin is worthy of God's judgment. Why has He not stricken us down? Why has He not judged us fully yet? And then you can begin to tell others and maybe even remind yourself if you need to be reminded of it, of God's long-suffering, of His kindness, of His patience. If you're having conversations with other people and they say things like, well, if God was really loving or if God was really good, He would do this, 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 and this. You can remind them the very fact that He hasn't struck you dead and that you have breath in your lungs that you are now using to blaspheme God is proof that He is gracious and He is kind and He is long-suffering. God is a just God. And when He brings judgment... It is merited. And it is for good reason that He brings judgment. Consider this as well in the fact that He is actually telling Abraham all of His plans. He doesn't want us to be in the dark. He's telling us much of His plans here in Scripture. He doesn't want us to be in the dark about is, does He judge people for good reason? Is he, is he really just? Can we really trust in the righteousness and the justice of God? Of course we can. But now consider this specifically for Abraham. Abraham is a man who received a promise from God that, number one, he himself would be the father of a great nation. So consider that. Again, Israel didn't exist at this time. Abraham, at least for a brief period of time, you could say that Abraham and Sarah were really the only two Israelites. Right out of the gate. Because all they had was a promise to cling to. Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. A nation that doesn't exist yet, but I will make of you a great nation. Then there was the promise, in you shall all of the nations of the earth be blessed. Only a God who had sovereign authority over all creation, over all the nations, could make a promise that any man would be the father of a great nation, and that all the other nations would be blessed because of this nation that God was bringing into existence. Only a God who had full authority over all things could make promises such as that. But now consider this. Abraham, the one who had received those promises, is now going to be <clears throat> a, a, uh, in view of God bringing destruction to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now this of course would not be an easy thing to, to know about, to, to witness. 
But for those of us of the faith, and for Abraham, his faith, there's a good chance that his faith was actually strengthened because he was an eyewitness to the fact that the same God who promised me that I would be the father of a great nation and all the nations of the earth would be blessed in me, he has the authority to create nations, to bring them into existence. He has the authority to strike nations down. To wipe them off the face of the earth. To bring them to extinction. If God who has promised me. That he will make a great nation of me. If he has the authority to make nations. And destroy nations. And to do as he pleases with all of creation. Surely he is a God worthy of praise. And worship and obedience. And he is a God who is worthy. Of faith. Believing what he has said. And so do not miss that. That may seem like such a small thing, but as I was reading this and preparing it, it it struck me, wow, the man who was promised he would be the father of a great nation that didn't even exist yet is now going to be witness of, of, of an entire people group, a civilization being wiped out. And as tragic and as as seemingly dark as that seems... It would actually bolster faith. Okay, the one who promised me that he would bring this nation can wipe nations and peoples out. He does have the authority over all creation. So he can bring a nation into existence. He can grant me, a hundred year old man, and my barren wife, he can grant us a son because he has authority over all things. And the faith of Abraham hopefully was bolstered And even if his faith was not bolstered, I pray that our faith is as we consider these things. Folks, we serve the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God who in Genesis 18 gives us a glimpse that He's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. The God who earlier in Genesis we read that He destroyed the world with a flood. But he spared one family. The God who in Genesis graciously and mercifully provided coverings for Adam and Eve. The God who graciously and mercifully saved Noah and his three sons and their wives. The God who graciously and mercifully is going to spare Lot. Is the same God that we serve today. And each of us who claims to be Christians, we profess faith in Christ. We should be fully aware each and every day that what we deserve is the wrath of Almighty God and what we have been given is grace. And if we say, well, what happens between here and now? What if, what if, what if? If God is capable of sparing righteous Lot while at the same time destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, if God is capable of preserving Noah and his family while at the same time destroying the world, then we are in no danger of Him losing us. We are in no danger of Him forgetting about us Or accidentally allowing us to to fall into the judgment that is to come for the wicked. 
He is able to keep and preserve while at the same time pouring out wrath and pouring out judgment. So on that great day of the Lord, if we are still alive, if we have not already passed on, but if we are here, we are still in no danger of accidentally, negligently being consumed in the wrath and the judgment of God. He is able to save and preserve fully those who are His. And we rejoice in that. As we consider all of these things, we should come to the conclusion that God surely is worthy of praise and obedience. Back just one moment to the fact that God is a just judge. Abraham does intercede based upon the truth that God is just, that God is merciful. And we know that even at the end of that interaction, the Lord says, for the sake of ten. For the sake of ten. God does not judge unless there is true reason to judge. And ultimately, next week, we will see that even righteous Lot, righteous Lot, and I say it like this, because I'll be honest, when I read in Second Peter, Almost every time I've read that passage and I come across those words, righteous lot, I think to myself, how in the world? How in the world is he called righteous lot? And if you're not too familiar with what lot did in the narrative that we'll read next week, you just wait or go home and read it today. But I personally, there have been times where I've read that passage and I've Righteous Lot. Righteous Lot? Was this a typo? Is this a miss? Like, what in the world? And we'll get to that. How on earth was Lot considered righteous? And we will talk much of the mercy and the grace of God. But for today, we covered. The Lord told Abraham what his plans were. God does not want us to be in the dark. God has given us His Word. We know what is to come. As Abraham looked out upon Sodom and Gomorrah and knew the plans of God, we can look out over the world and we know the plans of God. There is a judgment that is coming. This entire world will be consumed in judgment. This world will melt away with fervent heat. We know that. So what ought we to be doing in the meantime? Well, we can intercede. But also, that should spur us on. That should drive us to know that the wrath of God is looming, as it were, over all this creation. And the the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Knowing that, That should compel us and drive us with a greater zeal and a greater urgency to share the gospel. To share of the grace and the mercy of God displayed through Jesus Christ the Son. Because we know that when God says, I will bring judgment and I will destroy, that He means it. And it is going to come. So we know of God's plans and we are responsible for what we do in the meantime. 
Are we teaching our children? Are we raising up a generation that know of righteousness and justice? Are we speaking truth to those around us? Are we living and seeking to be holy as He is holy with our time here? We're reminded of who Abraham was. We need to be reminded of who we are. We are the children of God. If we are saved, it is because God has called us to Himself that our eyes were graciously opened and we we saw the Gospel for what it really is. We saw Christ for who He really is. Then we were granted repentance and faith. And all of the promises of God are yes in Jesus and we have these promises to cling to and to hold to. We see that God has the authority all of, over all creation. He can, he can bring a nation into existence. He can wipe a nation out. And He can do that because He alone is God. We see that He is a just judge. God does not bring swift and sudden destruction unless it is warranted. And when He brings that destruction, it is full. And only the righteous, only those of faith will be spared. Only those that God has called His own people will be spared. Because of these things, because of these very... I know that I've talked a while about them, but at the end of the day, these are simple, biblical truths of who God is. And through being reminded of these things, we ought to be reminded that God is worthy. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of worship. He is worthy of obedience. But as you go through your day-to-day life, and you may, you may have days where you struggle with, you feel like your faith is weak. You may feel like your faith is failing. You may be here this morning, and you may say, well, I don't really have faith at all. I'm starting to realize that I might not really be saved. I might not have faith at all. Or you might say, even more blunt than that, you might say, I know I'm not saved. I know I don't have faith. Consider the God of all creation. The God who has authority over all things. The God who brings swift and sudden destruction is the same God who brings everlasting grace and mercy and life into all who believe. Believe what? Not just that Jesus was a real person and He existed, but that Jesus is the one true Son of God, that Jesus is Lord. And in laying down His life upon the cross and that blood that was shed, it didn't just cleanse some people of their sins, that it cleansed and atoned for even your sins. That the blood that was shed was shed for you, that Christ is your Savior. That He is Lord. All who believe will be saved. For those of you who are struggling with weak faith, consider your Lord. And may your faith be strengthened. For those of you who are on the fence, you say, well, I, I don't even know if I really had faith at all to begin with. Now I'm just I'm questioning everything. I've never really understood the God of the Bible. Then set your mind upon the God of the Bible because that is the one true God of all creation. And may your faith be strengthened. And for those who are firmly would have placed their themselves on the outside of the body of Christ, consider God and consider that He commands all people everywhere to repent. Repent of your sins and be saved. 
And may God be glorified in all things. Let's close in a word of prayer.